0: Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverti. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Mankind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests.
3: You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Hello, everyone. Mark here. It is now February, the month that I turn, uh, I suppose, 41. And uh, hi, Michael. After the longest January of all time, we've made it out. Congratulations, everybody. It's been such a long January that I probably will find I'm something like 48 by the time my birthday (laughs) does happen, yes. And uh, well, we kick off this month by talking to the fascinating figure of Jamie Windust.
1: No, thanks for having me. I've got a milky tea and I'm banging. I'm on the way with two shugs you two, two shugs
0: I've got a
3: milky tea and I'm banging is very much the mentality we want <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're often
0: in for banging gear yeah.
3: <laughs> Yes, Jamie is honestly fascinating and this conversation is really interesting We're always using the word fascinating I think this every time I listen back but it's true they are what can you do we just need a thesaurus A thesaurus?
0: Thesaurus? <laughs> the emphasis was on the wrong syllable there Mark
3: I've always said thesaurus but actually you're right it's weird it, to differentiate it from a dinosaur
0: maybe We'll talk about this during what you listen to with Jamie and we'll come back to you with the correct pronunciation speak to you in a bit Good
3: well, Michael, it's that time again where we shuffle somehow into the podcast episode. Stumble
0: awkwardly. I think you described it earlier as when a child is next to a swimming pool, and they're too scared to get in. And they don't know how to quite bridge the gap. Yes.
3: So the first three or four minutes are all both us just basically in ill-fitting swimming shorts gazing down ill-fitting. into the pool. How dare you. So I'm just remembering my own. Well, it wasn't even shorts. You used to have to wear trunks in my I'm school. I'm not a fan of a trunk. I should think not, No.
0: How do you feel about a trunk? Sorry, we haven't introduced our our guest I think it's good form to at least introduce them before we start asking questions. (laughs) This week, we have Jamie Windust. They'll introduce themselves in a second. But
3: how do you feel about a trunk?
1: I'm surprised that you're not a fan of a trunk. To look out fine,
3: but like to wear... It's not for me. Too vulnerable, perhaps. Too too revealing. Do you know what? I'm not
0: actually a massive fan of swimming. Ah. Not because of the water, but um, because when I was younger, I was a bit more overweight than I am currently. Still overweight though, and I got bullied a lot for taking my top off. So I just I just fell out of swimming, I don't think I've gone back. It's quite dark, quite quickly. And if you're not (laughs)
3: swimming, then I suppose wearing trunks is odd. To be fair, well, you wouldn't want to wear it to the shops, would you? You'd be surprised if you saw that. Well, Um. quite.
0: Yeah. So I think visually fine, but they're not for me. And also, I just don't quite know where they're like. There was a whole thing of like, where do you put? Yeah, just like a. Jamie, can you introduce Hi. yourself? <laughs>
1: I may. I am Jamie Windust. I'm a writer, author, and new one I've added to the roster is cultural commentator, because it's very... Oh. Weighty tw- sounding, isn't it's it? It's very you... twatish. Yeah. Um, and I'm here with you today. How does a... one culturally commentate? Basically just means you've got a Twitter account with, <laughs> with, with an opinion.
3: Um, so most people are cultural commentators. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: joining in, culturally commentating. But yes... Newly published author, writer... Excellent book. Can you give it a quick quick mention? Go on. A quick one, if I must. It is <laughs> In Their Shoes, and that's all you're getting. Go and, oh. go and find it. That was quick, to be fair. The quickest of all plugs.
0: That so. was your brief. That...
3: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's in.
0: The first question we like to ask everybody is, when was the first time you realised that masculinity existed? It was a thing.
1: Now, I used to, for, let's say, from about the ages of five to fifteen... I was mildly forced in a non-forcing way, but
3: taken every weekend to football. Ah, here we go. Here we go. Here's the football story. Mark is getting
1: very excited. In
3: a way, this is a football podcast with occasional glimpses of other stuff, I see. (laughs) Yes.
1: And I think that was my first kind of experience of it because it was, I tie it in now with the smell of Bovril
3: and meat pies, because that's all you smell at football. Now, is Mike, it? This is very interesting. Michael is, looks absolutely baffled, but to me that was a, absolutely non-confusing. Thing to say. Just yeah,
0: Bovril is like Marmite, correct? No, uh,
1: yeah, but, you know, there's
3: a drink I form of I it. do not know. It. It's like, kind of like drinking gravy, isn't it? Ooh, I have
0: been known to like sneak into the gravy granules packet and just eat a spoonful of the granules. Yeah. Oh.
3: I mean, I, I keep telling you you'd be an ideal football fan. Yeah, uh, the, the <laughs> sort of um, iconic, less so these days a bit, but the iconic drink of like football grounds for decades was this, as Jamie says almost indistinguishable from gravy thing. Also always too hot to actually drink. It would burn a hole in your tongue. But it comes to the days when everyone was standing, it was freezing cold. Some of this still applies to some football. (laughs) But so Basically, it's almost more like a life support measure than than an actual drink. Yeah. And it's true. It's a very, for me, very evocative smell of going to sport. Yeah. And that's tied
0: irrevocably to masculinity.
3: Yeah, because I was never, I mean, this might come as a shock.
1: But I never would find myself around lots of men at that time. So Mm. I would spend, like, sometimes two days a week. Here comes the drop. Oh. At
3: Plymouth Argyle. Goodness me. There we go. Okay,
0: quickly to take a pause. I don't understand. So Plymouth Argyle is against... Well, you see... I believe you are Bristol.
3: I'm from Bristol and my team is Bristol City. So things are going to be all right between me and Jamie because there's no real... There's a little bit of a rivalry. As you probably know, football teams tend to have these ludicrous rivalries with the nearest team. But there are nearer teams than... Plymouth. In fact, I'm sort yeah. of quite fond of Plymouth because their fans are quite a fun. But they also play in green, Michael, which is the only team in the league that do that.
0: I think Celtic do that, don't they?
3: Ah, they're from Scotland, though. So they're the only English team to play in
0: that. Don't denigrate my only football knowledge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and actually, you're, I should say in all green, like Celtic right. have got their green and white stripes. And I the... stuffed the full kit. Did you? Thank How you very much. How did we feel about that? No.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely I'm not. I'm
3: struggling to picture it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean... So you went to Home Park... A lot indeed, yeah, so I'd go to home park pretty much every Saturday, all the away games ferried in the back of the car. This is very interesting. So you're not going by choice, no, not you're by choice, and it was it was fine, but I guess that was kind of my first dip into like actual masculinity mm. and kind of you know that environment is very hyper masculine, it's very toxic in a way, it's very overtly masculine, mm. yeah, it's interesting as I kind of got older and became more. Of myself, I realised that this was not my space, so i just sit in the corner and play on my Nintendo.
0: Another theme is gaming. But yeah. um, you say about hyper-masculine and toxically masculine, and what traits did you see
1: that fitted that? Just kind of like over-aggression. Mm-hmm. I always used to find, and I still do find, very funny when men get really angry, because it's normally at like the tiniest thing, mm. um,
3: especially in football.
1: That's very true. Yeah. And I'm
3: speaking as one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just like I never understood where that passion came from, because... I didn't care for it.
0: I really identify with that. I'm like, a ball has been kicked into a net. Yeah.
2: Well,
3: <laughs> I've tried many times to rationalise it, and like a lot of passions, you sort of can't, mm. I suppose. But what's interesting is that very often I'm emotionally consumed by a match, but I, I still accept that what I'm doing is stupid. Like yeah. Football is a weird thing where, it's not just football that this is about, people no, are like with Bake Off, but no. you can simultaneously be massively wrapped up in it, and also mm. part of you is watching yourself thinking... What is this about? But as Jamie says, there are quite a lot of men who go to football who do not make that mental experiment. It's also
0: worth noting that it's not unique to football. There's things like RuPaul's Drag Race, where the fandom can become just as wrapped up and aggressive and genuinely hateful towards something that is essentially people wearing dresses on a stage and being told that they're snugly dressed. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Do you have an opinion on why men specifically are so prone to anger about things that probably even they would admit aren't that important?
1: I think it's because they often... Like for example, with football, with like a passion, men are socialized to exist in a space where they can't show vulnerability mm-hmm. or they can't yep. show like happiness or proudness, or they can't feel like they're actually enjoying something because it may appear to someone else that they're vulnerable. So yeah. the only one of the ways that they then show that I guess is through anger or mm-hmm. through kind of just like a really strong exertion of energy which isn't
3: always lovely. We've talked before about how sometimes you'll see people at football who appear to have come with the intention of being angry and like even Mm. if their team is winning, even if they're Mm. on some level happy, then as you say, must be about some sort of necessary psychic release or something. Yeah, it's like a a weekend release for them, I
1: guess. Mm. But, I mean, whatever floats your boat, I just think it would be more fun if it was nicer for everyone.
3: And so do I. It's interesting to me this because within the realm of football fandom, I see myself as one of the good guys. I'm constantly trying to introduce people to or, or not introduce them against their will, but build bridges between the... Uh, football and non-football communities. and uh, But about uh, maybe 10 years ago, I fronted this campaign called Respect FC. Not my idea, but the idea of it was just to make everyone be a bit less of a dick at football. Mm. That was, I'm paraphrasing. It's a good tagline. I wish I'd been allowed to do that, yeah. <laughs> um, and lots of people were really nice about it, but lots of other people said, well, the whole point is the aggression to have enemies to be... And, and it depressed me in a way because it's possible to be massively competitive and partisan about your team, which I am without actually abusing or upsetting people and there's you know yeah. people talk as if if you took the element of hatred out of football it wouldn't be football anymore and i passionately don't you can express that.
0: disappointment as sadness not as anger i think yeah
1: Because yeah. like if you look at like there were teams that we would always kind of like laugh at that we, when we'd go there we'd be like watch out like Millwall was always really known for its anger still yeah yeah like <laughs> you know people riot like i remember when the world cup was on i lived opposite a pub and it would be like a fight like just mm, pure scream. energy I understand it's tied in with nationalism. It's tied in with like being patriotic and all that type of stuff. But I just find it. And odd. so do I. I
3: think a lot of people who are huge football fans, and I love the World Cup, is one of my like specialist subjects as we <laughs> know. But I find it very difficult to watch England games anywhere near pubs or other people because you start to think, you look around and think, there's more of this that I don't have in common with people than. Mm. I watched you the know.
0: World Cup a couple of years ago, and I went, I did go to pubs to watch it and, and see, and. I could get involved with it, but as soon as the aggression came out, it immediately snapped me out. And I was like, oh, I don't... I was kind of being brought into that world and the aggression pushed me out. You said quite specifically between 5 and 15. Like, what happened at 15? Where did you
1: go? Where did I go? Great question. I think I got to an age where I was allowed to actually be at home on my own. Mm. (laughs) So I was allowed to not have to go. And also I was like, I'm a very... Even now to this day, I'm a very stubborn person. Mm. So I think I was becoming more... Femme, I was moving more into my identity and sexuality, so I was like, actually, that kind of feeling of being at football had turned from a place of, oh, I just don't like it here, to actually this is like unsafe now. Yeah. So I feel like if I went, I would stick
3: out and I'd be like a target mm. for mm. that potential anger. Which probably is true, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, something I'd like to ask, I've asked a couple of people this, is, you know, as someone that still is going to football and trying to bring people into that world, what would be helpful things that someone like me could do because the idea of it being a sort of threatening atmosphere mm. to people is, um, yeah, upsetting to me. Are there things that you can do to be an ally?
1: I think in that football space, it's it's very easy to almost compartmentalise that environment as like what can we change here. But I think for me, whenever I look at spaces like football or people ask me like, how can I change a space? Mm you know, there are still people in that space. So I think it's more about
3: changing the culture for men in general. It's a much bigger question. You're right. Football is just a focus for a particular type of, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I think kind of, if you look at the specifics of football, showing more representation within the game, Mm -hmm. having kind of, just, I don't know, just a more comfortable feeling, because there's lots of sporting events where that anger isn't there. Like, I'm sure when Tom Daly was on, he
3: wasn't talking about people punching people no, in their stands. No, I, no. <laughs> and even if you go to rugby, which has been a pretty male space traditionally, you, you don't see the same. It's there more is celebratory. It is. There is something about football specifically, which seems to, as you say, function as something, some sort of emotional punch bag for men in a way yeah. that very little else That's does. That's a very
0: good phrase to put it, an emotional punch bag. Thank I you, I like Mike. that. Ten out of ten. <laughs> I think eight, maybe, but I'm happy with it, yeah.
3: Anyway, we would, yeah. so basically it's about it's about changing wider behaviour, obviously, because it's not really a question about football. It's, it's how can we make the world better for more people, yeah. I suppose.
1: Yeah, and I think like, opening up that conversation around why men can't exert energy that might make them vulnerable or have emotions that might make them feel vulnerable, because then if they could deal with that... And not have to use football necessarily
3: as an outlet for their, like all of their feelings. Mm. Um, it might be a bit more of a safe environment. Do you think it's getting better? Because there's certainly a lot more talk about men and their emotions than there ever used to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots of... You know, it's quite topical, but like Marcus Rashford, like there's lots of people in the game that are actively doing things out of the game. Yeah. That are charitable or on mental health lines or you know you've got like rainbow laces with stonewall yeah there are lots of initiatives but i think unfortunately like if you look at rainbow laces that's been going on for a long time but there's still not any out lgbt players in the kind of premier league or the main that's right space so i think it does boil down to you need to change the people in the space rather than the
3: space but also beyond sport do you think that men are gradually evolving to be better at emotional conversations, because again, it feels as if that's much more of a talking point at least mm. than it was ten years ago.
1: I think definitely, I think there is a there is definitely a movement for men to talk more, especially in kind of my generation and my age mm. group. But I think it needs to be intergenerational.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because
1: like m- me and Michael, we've got we've got years between us. No offense. Only a few. Only a few. But <laughs> we have people like in I guess in our uh, social media and in our networks that we can look up to that are having these conversations, but then people who are
3: older, maybe, might not be able to grasp or kind of have accessibility to those conversations. It's true, I think, I mean, I'm, a, I'm much older than both of you, and I do think that your generation is noticeably good at having conversations that no one has had before. Yeah, because yeah. in
1: the book I write about
0: Clang. Clang, in their shoes, available in all good bookstores now and Amazon.
3: From now on, instead of Clang, you should actually drop the book on the floor.
1: <laughs> Slap it on the table. <laughs> I talk about, like, almost being Not a secret ally, but, like, we need more people to kind of have the conversations in institutions so that it's not just left down to the people of the marginalised identity. Like, the example I gave in the book was about the NHS and how often that service can be very stressful for trans people and non-binary people because pronouns are not known as well in those spaces. So I think I want people to take that away from those conversations and then go and do the work themselves, even if they don't necessarily identify that way because then for me if I then go to the doctor and they just know and it's not an issue even if they give me the option Mm -hmm. I'm like okay great this is easy breezy
0: yeah so you said around around 15 you started experimenting with more femme-presenting things, and I know that fashion is a huge thing. We've talked about how a football kit isn't potentially fashion. I was amazed
3: to hear it, but (laughs) I guess there are other clothes out there. I suppose
0: one could... How would one make a football kit more fashion, Jamie?
1: I am a fan of a knee-high sock sometimes. Right, Okay. We accept the socks. Yeah, and at least the studs on the boot give you a bit of height. We could extend the stud. Yeah, just like stiletto studs, the whole bottom. Oddly, there are
3: some attempts at kind of... I think there's a culture of making football shirts more sexier and, and looking because of course every- do they
0: get belted do you is it a belt cinched the one? one cinch ones <laughs> I've yet
3: to see that and also i only got the vaguest idea of what you're on about cinching is when you like pull in
0: your waist you've probably explained this much better than me
3: basically just belting right. it at the waist right yeah so kind of, I see
0: almost like an hourglass yeah, yeah I,
3: I can okay. picture that that's known as cinching mm, yes
0: yeah, cinching one's waist
3: I don't think that will be uh, the last word that I learned <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> give it a go when you go home
3: very interesting
0: uh, so experimenting with fashion talk to me about fashion and how that influenced how you identified and how you
1: presented. The thing with me and I think the thing with fashion is people take it very very seriously. Mm. I did a fashion business degree and the people in that space were so so serious and the industry itself was so serious. I can only
3: imagine how serious people in a degree like that would be, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it's like I just use it to have a laugh yeah, and have fun and At 15, I was kind of... I always talk about it as like a coincidental happening that I was exploring fashion as I was then learning more about gender identity. Mm -hmm. And they both fed into each other. So me experimenting more with fashion led to me gaining more access to knowledge on pronouns and transness and the different ways you can exist. And then once I'd unlocked one side the other side began to flourish. So as Mm. soon as I kind of learned more about gender, I was like, this is great. I'm just going to go and wear my stiletto football boots Mm. all the time. So- (laughs) Something I need to see now, by the way. I will make it happen. (laughs) But yeah, it's fun. I just find it very fun. And I think the issue with it is other people's reaction is what makes it less fun. Mm. But in terms of masculinity over the past year, my style has really changed into my own version
3: of masculinity cool can you say a bit about that that's interesting
1: yeah because i used to be like very high femme so i'd be like full face like i'd wear a four-inch heel every day quick uh just
0: a quick pause i tried to learn to wear heels this summer and let me tell you, it didn't work. <laughs> Why? What were you doing, Rob? So I think I ended up looking like, a bit like a praying mantis when, <laughs> one, when I was walking because my... Kn-
3: I can really picture you as a praying Thank mantis you. now you said that.
1: Uh, <laughs> my,
0: Weirdly my, accurate. My knees sort of went over my toes <laughs> and my whole <laughs> the whole of my body was trying to, trying to get balance. Yeah, you, you do have to like
3: lean back the whole time.
0: How? I've never
3: once thought about the actual logistics of wearing heels. Genuinely,
0: nor had I until I tried on my friend Ophelia's one point earlier in the year. Do it. And it was, I couldn't do it. So if you were to give someone like three tips on wearing heels, because you do it so well.
1: Do you know what? I don't know how I did it because when lockdown came, I was like, obviously didn't wear them. And before that, I had literally worn them pretty much every day for two years. Yeah. And I was like, how on God's earth do you wear these? You have to really hold your core and... You can't just not care about where you're putting the weight in your foot. You have to either put it right to the back or right to the front.
0: I think it was putting it to the front that made the praying
1: mantis issue.
0: I can picture how it's meant to work, but I can't do it. Because if
1: you don't, you'll be flying on the tube. Yeah, Hashtag probably... heel chat. Hashtag heel chat. In, in case anyone's listening a lot. Sorry heel
3: for chat.
0: interrupting. You were talking about um, how you've moved into a more, into, last year, into like a version of masculinity. Different form
1: of
3: masculinity, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I've, I've always found inspiration from in fashion from the 80s. Right. So I think for me... I always used to use that as high femme and, you know, big shoulders, cinched waist um, and have that kind of power with it. And I think what changed is I went through a spell this time last year where the kind of public reaction to my presence physically was so mentally damaging that I was like, for my own sanity, I need to stop, which was really difficult. So I just like I hadn't done this for about six years and I just said no makeup, no heels, just like traditional clothing Traditional for... Kind of just like slacks, shall we say. Just like very kind of bog standard beige attire. And I did that. And then afterwards, I felt completely different about how I presented myself to the world because I'd always thought to feel non-binary, I I need to appear femme or I need to appear androgynous. Right. Whereas once I realised that no matter how I look, I'm still the same identity, which I'd not really grappled with before. I was like, this is great. I feel a lot more comfortable now. So, in terms of like masculinity and how I look, I wear a lot of suits now, a lot of kind of tailoring, smart trousers. Most of it is still women's, but it's more, for me, it, it feels like a nice evolution because I've been able to still feel as me as possible, but not be overtly high femme, which I used to do a lot.
0: It's fascinating that you're able to, I mean, you have the freedom, I suppose, to draw from wherever you want to draw from. Mm. Do you find that there's a, a different meaning or connotation attached to different gendered clothing? In what way, my love? It came to my mind because you said you wear more women's suits right. rather than men's and probably because they look better. But aside, aside from that, yeah. I guess why is, is the bottom line?
3: Yeah, it's the experience of wearing a men's suit different from wearing a women's suit internally. Like, or externally. Oh, right. Yeah, I suppose externally as well, really.
1: No, to be honest, I don't ever really care about the the gender of the item. I mm. just care whether or not I think it
3: looks good. Yeah.
1: So, like, for example, the shoes I have on now are from the men's section, but my outfit is... They are
3: better than both of our they're shoes. They're really cool Campus shoes. Confirmed. I was thinking that even before they came <laughs> Thank out. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, like, my whole outfit is from the women's. When I go shopping, I do not care where I shop. It's just how it feels on my body mm. and how I think I look. My aesthetic is the only thing that decides what i decide to buy not what gender it is
0: i think it's fascinating to think about you moving from feeling you must present a certain way to be non-binary right to lots of people would you would assume that if someone is non-binary that they therefore can be free to do whatever they want but within that there was a sort of a wonder of how to express that where do you think that question came from
1: i think it came from a bit of a bit of this idea of that you know, there is only one way to look Mm. if you're non-binary, which is obviously not correct. But then also because my look became so synonymous with my work Mm. and as my kind of work became more public and my work became more known, I guess, people would always be like, oh, is that Jamie with the face? Well, you do have a face. Thank you. Yeah, they've got you there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's me. No, but like... Like Becky with the good hair. Yeah, Jamie with the face. So it'd be like... I almost felt like... I had to perform it for other people sometimes. And we all perform gender in lots of ways. But I felt like sometimes I didn't have control over the person they wanted me to be. For example, if I'd been booked to go do a talk or something where I I was going to be seen, I'd be like, right, I need to get into Jamie phase. Mm -hmm. Which I still do now, but it's a lot easier. And the relationship with it is a lot more kind of flexible. Mm -hmm. For example, in the past now, I would have been like... Michael and Mark need to see Jamie face. Whereas I'm like... But this is also Jamie face. There's lots of different Jamie faces. You nailed it, yeah.
0: Oh, look at that. Nailed it. You said that there was sort of one way to look in terms of being non-binary. And I was wondering, as you were kind of developing your identity and learning more about who you are, who could
1: you draw inspiration from? Who were Mm. your role models? Hilariously, I always say me Mm -hmm. because I don't like to copy people. But I think it was It's generally the 80s I never I've never had one person Mm. But yeah The 80s Because it was a synonymous time For fashion But also because It was one of the times That I realised that fashion Meant something socially Like Mm. women were dressing In a certain way Because there was a power dynamic shift Mm -hmm. because they wanted to assert themselves. So I always resonate with that. A lot of people say Boy George, but I don't like him, so no.
0: (laughs) There was a whole hoo-ha, I think is the technical term, wasn't there?
1: A whole hoo-ha.
0: Someone who has a pronoun in their name, they were rather against people using different pronouns. I didn't know
3: that about Boy George.
1: Yeah, and also there was a funny hoo-ha when I got in an Uber once the driver thought I was an impersonator, so he put Karma Chameleon on for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a big call. you have to be absolutely sure, I think, to do that. He was like, this one's for you, and I was like, oh, cheers, babe. You'll love it.
3: That's such a weird thing to, to do. Yeah. I mean, even if you were a Boy George impersonator, you probably don't want to hear a Boy George song when you've just come off shift.
1: Yeah, but that like, sod off. <laughs> That's the thing with when I was, you know, when you express yourselves physically in a way that some people have never seen before, boundaries are just lost on so many people. Mm. I said it recently in an interview, I was like, people would either come up and be like, I
3: love you, or people would be like, die. There's (laughs) there's
1: like no in between.
3: But either way, they feel more free to express their opinions than they might if you didn't look like that.
1: Why? I think it's gaslighting because people presume that if you look a certain way, you are doing it solely for other people. Mm -hmm. So they think you want them to be like, you look brilliant. Whereas actually it's like, sorry, but I already know that,
3: hence why I'm wearing what I'm wearing. I'm not doing it for anyone else's approval. Yeah, it's a bit like if women are fat, one of my best friends is a proudly fat woman, and an awful lot of the abuse she gets seems to take the position that they are meant to review her, that she is attempting to impress them. And as Mm. you say, but also a lot of the positive comments she gets also give much more credit to the commenter. Like, I think you're really cool and brave, actually, and neither extreme of comment is actually welcome,
1: really. Yeah, I do feel quite bad sometimes when people come up to me and they say nice things because I am a bitch so I will treat them I treat them kind of how I would if someone was saying something horrible mm. and I just don't reply but again yeah. it's unsolicited comment from them isn't it yeah I don't really I don't really need it I remember when, when I would go out and people would be like why are you wearing that and I'd be like why are you wearing that yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. stalemate. yeah why are we all wearing anything why well, have we all got clothes on yeah. very, do you know yeah. what a very good point because it's like Sorry that I chose my clothes better than you may have
3: this morning. (laughs) But I will not apologise for that. Again, it's sort of incredible that people would ask that, really. I'm sure I can imagine it happens every day. But when you actually stop and think... Mm. Not just what right someone has to ask the question, but on a more fundamental level, as you say, it's just a question that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, just
1: ask yourself in your head. Yeah. Oh, I don't have
3: an answer. I it's a bit like walking know. up to someone in a restaurant saying, Why have you eaten that then? Yeah. <laughs> what do you go for that? What's the
1: point? <laughs> you talked quite a lot elsewhere,
0: so we don't need to rehash it, about prejudice that you faced. Mm. And I was wondering, when was the first time you recall facing that? When was the first time you, you remember someone else acting in a prejudiced way against you?
1: I think it was because I'm originally from Dorset. So it's quite a classic trajectory of like small town, gay. But it was, as we moved from school into sixth form, we were allowed to wear our own clothes. And that was when I was kind of experimenting more with fashion. Mm. And I remember that kind of first day when I was experimenting with what I was wearing. Just the reaction, just people just being like absolutely aghast if I just come in and like, you know, naked or something.
0: Aghast is a very good word. Just as a, a quick interjection, I love that Aghast.
3: It is a fine word, agast. and it, it conveys a particular facial expression yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think that's what I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes a word is so good that we have to stop and just <laughs> take take a minute.
0: Yeah.
1: A
3: moment of silence.
0: So, picturing the scene, Sick Palm College, everyone is aghast. Aghast. Colleagues
1: everywhere. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I remember it. I remember just being like, why is everyone so surprised? And then I remember going into town the, that day and just, like, everyone in town just, like, literally, like, stopping mm. and just, like, gawping. Another great word. And that was when I was like, what's going on?
3: You didn't think those clothes choices were as unusual as, as they were?
1: No, absolutely. And it was like...
3: You must have been aware that not that many people around did dress like that, or...?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I was aware that it was a bold look... But I think...
3: But not that it, but people would have such intensity of opinion about it, I suppose. Yeah.
1: And where do you think that
0: intensity of opinion comes from? I'm thinking more kind of in general, the responses that you've received that are negative, whether they be mm. abusive, whether they just be someone giving you an eye across a, a street. Yeah. Where do you think those prejudices are based?
1: I think it's a projection. Right. Of other people's insecurity. Because I think whenever anyone sees... And it's not big-headed, but like when anyone ever sees someone that appears confident mm. and is just like you can tell that they're just being themselves. It's like holding up a mirror to someone. Because then they're like, how am I doing that? Am I... Am I always mm. being myself? Do I feel like I look as, as me as possible? So I think often people's natural reaction is to, like, chip away at the person who's doing themselves. Mm. Yeah. Because it makes them feel better. They try and kind of pull you down a peg or two.
3: Yeah, people find confidence and like, a sense of contentment in someone else almost unbearable. If there's yeah. some weakness in there, well, weakness, but if there's some, something that they sense then they're, they're doing sub-optimally, definitely.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a very British thing. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. When I've spoken to, like, Americans, when I have recently worked with a lot of Americans, they had that same experience in London. They were like, everyone wants to drag people down. I don't know if it's specifically the UK problem. Well,
3: people, certainly British people seem to find it intolerable that Americans, on average, talk themselves up a bit more and comport themselves with a bit more confidence. You'll always hear British people slagging off every single person in the United States because because of this culture of saying, I'm great, I'm good, I feel good. But sometimes you do wonder whether that is merely the fact that as British people we have a terrible relationship with feeling good about ourselves and saying it, at least.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It just makes me laugh. I just don't understand. it, It genuinely does baffle me because when I see people out and about that I think look amazing, I would never dream of going up to someone and being like... Well, I would if it was, like, cute... And I could manage it. But like, I wouldn't, if I saw someone that I was like, you look shit, I wouldn't go over to them and be like,
3: by the way, you look fucking shit. I, I need to tell you. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> you look like yeah. shit.
0: There's um, something in my head of, you're talking about the reflections of other people. And I'm thinking back to those football matches that we spoke about at the beginning. Mm. And whether the aggression that we're talking about, that insecurity comes from that same projection of themselves and the,
1: that comparison to themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think people don't necessarily reflect on themselves enough. Yeah. You know, they get so caught up in kind of rules and binaries. And, you know, if we look at fashion, lots of people think there are certain things you can only wear because of your body type or certain things you can only wear because of your gender. Mm. So I think when they again, when they see someone that's just like not adhering
3: to that, they're like, fuck, I've not ever thought of doing that before. Yeah. It is challenging to someone that's lived for a long time in a particular rut. It's about. I think it's, you're right. I think it's about living as the most fully realised version of yourself yeah. that you can. If you're not doing that, then deep down you are aware of it on some level. And right. then you're bound to look with fury on people who are.
1: Yeah. And that's what I always kind of say about being non-binary or gender non-conformity is it, it, it helps everyone. If you strip down all of these rules and regulations on fashion, on work on relationships it helps everyone because then other people could start to drip feed that into their experience in their lives
0: i'm wondering how did you learn to do that when did that happen because i'm presuming you weren't always this this cool and calm and collected
1: the thing is i'm very much not right i have a lot of experiences i guess that have been that i've had to grow a very thick skin very fast yeah. that's often why i get mm. people think i'm like
3: nearly 30 because 'cause I'm apparently wise of some
0: A sage old owl.
1: Yeah.
3: It's true, every time we have a guest that projects wisdom, we're desperately hungrily trying to milk it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. How do you do it? What's your secret?
1: I think it's this you know, I I'm very honest online as well about how, you know, I'm not I'm not always confident. Mm. I genuinely don't know how I got to a point where I can just do it. Mm. Mm. It takes time, and one piece of advice I always give people is take your time. Yeah. Especially if you're trans and you're kind of expressing yourself publicly you need to take your time with it cuz the world isn't ready for that yet mm-hmm. unfortunately but i just don't take shit i just i think i just don't i just don't take it anymore so therefore people i think people can sense that and also the clothes i wear it kind of some people would say it's intimidating that also means that i just appear confident a lot of the time and i am confident in my work and what i do but you know we all have wobbles mm-hmm. we
3: have wobbly days this thing about the world not being ready, which is obviously true as regards trans rights and non-binary and all of it, do you think? It's not an easy question to formulate. As oh, good!
0: Every episode, there's one question <laughs> where one of us can't word the question. It's normally me, so it's lovely to hear. that I Mark's genuinely reckon this could now. be a five-minute, Michael. Can't Start, wait! Um... Everyone settle in. <laughs> well, there's somebody that or we could put a countdown clock behind it in post.
3: I, I think that would be that, or oh, just in post, yeah, like, <laughs> not live. That would absolutely screw me. I mean, I can me. it if you'd like. Well, I mean, I hadn't even encountered the idea of non-binary until, I suppose, only a few years ago, really. And I think a lot of people are... I'm 40. I suppose my question is, do you think that the whole of the world ought to get used to seeing things in less binary terms, gender or sex or however you express it as concerned? Like, Because presumably being non-binary for you works as an expression of who you are, but Mm. there must be far more people and far more things that are less binary Mm. than we all treat them as.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, for me, it, it works and it fits. It's not a new thing. No. Non-binary, the word, is just an, the new evolution of an identity that's existed forever. Mm. So it, it has existed for centuries, and I think people, and again, it's a UK-specific thing, people don't like change. They don't like being told what they can and can't say or do. Absolutely true, yeah. Without backed up knowledge. It
3: amazes me that with the pronouns thing, it's that for me is a mental effort to make each time because mm. it's not an instinct. But it's not a very big effort. I find it incredible that people act as if it's insulting to them to have to do that two second long thing. But it's because yeah. of change. It's because people think, well, we didn't do that for 50 years. Why am I doing it now? Exactly,
1: yeah. And like people think it's overtly political. Like my best friend and crush, Lawrence Fox. <laughs> my everyone's crush, i guess love him you know put something out on twitter talking about how like the nhs celebrating international pronouns day was like a political stance no like, we're talking now and i'm calling you by your pronouns i'm not shining my like hammer and sickle because i'm like got a huge
3: political stance it's just respect yeah people tend to regard anything as a political pose if they mean i don't really like it and yeah I see, yeah i don't see why it should change mm. and also What's more political than just trying to improve the conditions of life for other people? Everything's politics because everything is about mutual respect, or ought to be.
1: And I always class it as like an inkling of, you know, pronouns for me are like a gateway almost to whether or not someone respects their identity. If they can't Mm. make the effort to sit and understand how to change one word they actually already use in their language... Then they clearly don't understand. It's have going to time. be a long haul for them to understand
3: who you are as a person. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's why my friends always joke with me that I have like a countdown clock on all of my friendships and relationships because I've never had a friendship that's like been more than like three, four years
3: because people don't respect me. That's a really interesting <laughs> thing for somebody to say, I think. I mean, you're much younger than me, but do you imagine you'll always have a sort of three to four year cut off point for friendships or is that something you <laughs> think Has anyone you might...
0: lasted longer?
3: I was actually talking today, there's one friend that's she's getting to her four year mark. She's the champion. How do yeah. you
0: celebrate? Do you have like a, a party for the... She'll have
1: her appraisal um,
0: <laughs> and then... Yeah,
3: and then talk about maybe extending it to five years or not if it doesn't work for... Probation. Do, do you think that's an int- intrinsic part of your personality or is it just...
1: I think it's, um, you know, I'm sure we can all relate to this. When your work is often very isolating and you're often put in very like surreal positions with your job it can create fractions between your friendships because yeah a lot of my friends have just nine to five jobs in fashion or you know very kind of fulfilling but different jobs to me so i think one thing that i always find is that jealousy and confusion seeps into a lot of that Mm. or people want to try and use me to bolster themselves through my work and my connections. So I think that, combined to the fact that my job is very lonely, means that I often am kind of in a headspace where I'm like, I don't need other people. If someone's pissing me off, I'll just hand them the notice.
3: Do you have a, a formal notice procedure? F-P-45 a P45
1: gets handed it. No, I'm just very... I joke, but I am strict with who I give my time and energy to. Because I need people in my word of the year bubble that <laughs> respect me understand me are allies to me as a bare minimum there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
0: plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify linking into allies are there any let's go with men are there any men that you see as allies or any men that you admire
1: to be honest the men in my life are very few and far between but the ones that i say are the best allies are either trans men or queer men Mm -hmm. because there's an inherent part of them that gets it and i don't know if you're related to this michael but like with cisgendered straight men there's always part of me that doesn't think they'll understand so i almost write them off immediately my well, bike. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Mark has now left the
1: room. No, and it's not. You know, it's not based on my preconceptions. It's just based on
3: my experiences in history. Well, yeah, it's based with on men. everything that's happened to you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be fair.
3: are there things that yeah. men like me can do to get past those barriers? Like, is it possible for someone to change your mind just by persistence? Yeah, persistence. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Please. I think one thing, and I'm always for me, like I always say with with men whether it be romantically or just, like, generally, is my bar is so low. If a man, like, is nice and uses the right pronouns, you know, Mm win-win. I think it's just about coming into it and breaking what I presume you're going to do. Sure, yeah. Because most men don't do that. So being respectful, actually being educated, using the right pronouns, telling me I look hot, that will all that's
3: non-negotiable
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) non-negotiable then your contract can start (laughs) if you were
0: to you know Build-A-Man workshops yeah we are not sponsored yet it's
3: it's (laughs) stupid we're not sponsored because you've you've
0: said it you've mentioned it three (laughs) (laughs) times basically
3: they're sponsoring us but they just don't have to pay us we're just advertising
0: imagine like I mean more Build-A-Man workshop yeah if you went in there and you had to put three qualities into each person that identifies as a man they
1: have to have these three qualities what would they be i think the first one would just be like an inherent kindness mm-hmm. i think kindness is something that if i'm honest, i think men do
3: have they just don't show it
0: why why not of course that was very aggressive yeah. why
3: why <laughs> does it come
1: aggressive.
0: down
3: again to this kind of vulnerability of being suspect in some ways and yeah the act of being kind does it force you to lower yourself a little bit or
1: yeah and i think yeah or, or it's, a, it's it's something that is often seen as you know even feminine it's seen as like weakness mm. to be kind so I'd drop a bit of kindness in. I would drop a Welsh accent, just as a funny one. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> I find it really sexy.
0: I think the Geordie accent's more attractive than the
1: Welsh, personally. Oh, I just anywhere
3: above London. Um, so yeah. we've got kind and Welsh sounding. <laughs> kind and Welsh, Geth and Jones. Um, <laughs> I, I was just going to see if I could think of... Yeah, I, I think that the Welsh accent is quite a naturally kind-sounding thing as well. So the two... The two do go together so well, far. We we'll do. Will, will they now throw a third one in, which is narrows the Venn diagram dramatically? It's
1: an, it's an odd one, but like, what I like to call like listening codes, which is when often people listen to other people and think that there needs to be an immediate answer. So, for example, like often when I talk to men and I explain a problem, their immediate response is to try and fix it, mm-hmm. to try and help you, but to try and You know, and it can sometimes turn into a a victim-blaming situation. So I'd say, like, good listening codes, knowing that sometimes you just listen to someone because they need you to listen to them and you don't need to reply with advice. Or Mm.
3: sometimes this person needs your advice. Give advice now. Um, Yeah, perhaps men do have a tendency to think that it is on them to solve everything. I man, I must fix. Yeah, in the same yeah. way that if a shelf falls down, not me, but many men will think, well, that's, I must immediately put that back up. It seems similar. I, I would call somebody else to come in and have a. I certainly probably. would, yeah. Sometimes I get a task rabbit to listen to my <laughs> friends as well.
1: But yeah, because as well, like a lot of the time when they try and, if they can't empathise with your situation, they'll either tell you you're wrong or just talk about themselves.
3: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting about the listening...
1: But
0: also listening to give room as well. Listening to give yeah. room,
3: not listening with a sense of, right, here's what we do about that. Because yeah. I think it's, very, it's a very instinctive thing to think, yeah. I'm being asked for help and the only help I can give is to magic these problems away. But right. that's not how a lot of things work.
1: Yeah, because sometimes like I have people that I let like in my very dwindling roller decks of friends
0: <laughs> <laughs> you said I noticed this week a couple more friends you have yes, painted quite a bleak picture of of my life
1: <laughs> I do genuinely have I guess categories of friends that I'm like right this person's a really good listener this person's really great for advice this person's good at just for a natter. yeah you can to sometimes know.
3: be friends with someone for years I find and not know about a person that they're not actually that there are big weaknesses in their friendship armory like yeah. listening for example and there are other people about whom the opposite is true like you don't necessarily even know them that well but they're, like listening is a skill of its own right basically rather than just a function of a friendship
1: mm. yeah because I've recently made I, think I might give him a plug I've recently made friends with a man oh Shocking. my oh my unfortunately a taken straight man but um, it's still a step forward for, for <laughs> us though like, it's, it's encouraging for the rest of us yeah Henry James Garrett. Oh, wonderful guy, yes. Who is a wonderful illustrator and author. And he's actually, do you know what? Let's give him some love. He has really shaped my relationship, I think, looking at other men. Because on paper, we wouldn't A, have a lot in common, or B, he wouldn't be able to help me necessarily, or I would just presume he wouldn't be able to kind of empathise or listen. Mm. But he's been like absolutely perfect in a year where, you know, I've been everywhere and anywhere mentally. He's. Just been like checking in, being lovely, being supportive, being a good listener, and he's not, you know, he's not centering himself. He's not doing anything that is kind of stressful. He's just, you just, you know, you know, he's there if you need to have a chat, which so I think for me is very rare. You'll to keep him on.
3: He'll stay on. A he's yeah. he's couple in probation. Couple of years.
1: Yeah, a couple, and then I'd
3: swap. Yeah, don't go mad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. So
0: you were saying Welsh goes into the builder man. Yeah. Is there a Welsh history with you, Mark, that you want to bring forward?
3: It is the case that I, uh, my mum is Welsh, half my family is Welsh, and I did use a Welsh accent on stage for the first few years of my career i couldn't have known at the time how attractive i was being
2: uh
3: <laughs> well, it, it was a very very long range can we
0: hear the welsh accent
3: i wouldn't have thought so no because it oh. w- would now be seen as appropriation but in, in those days we didn't have that word <laughs> and, and also i didn't actually it didn't feel as if it was an enormous like for a start i grew up 12 miles from wales and so much of my family was welsh that it felt like almost a kind of half a half truth um, <laughs> yeah. but it can now be seen as an astonishingly long range ploy to capture the heart of jamie who at the time was i suppose about seven
1: (laughs) it's worked that small snippet i'm writing up your contract now
3: that's great i just i think i can bring a lot to the company
1: (laughs) so now we get to the
3: awkward ending how do we end how how
0: do you end oh you end things quite regularly apparently yeah (laughs) actually
3: of of all the guests we've had this is surely the best one to just tell us to go away basically Uh, how would
0: you can you break up with us as if we had yeah, a us, shit friend. Because
3: both of us probably don't have this life either. It will literally
0: <laughs> just cut to black. There'll be nothing at the end.
3: Sure. Thanks for joining me today. Ominous. Immediately the tone <laughs> oh God, is ominous. I genuinely feel,
1: I feel
0: nervous. <laughs> a
3: chill has gone through the room, even though we asked for this. They've gone very serious. Yeah. They, yeah.
1: You know, I like to be honest, and I think we've had a good run, and we've had some good times, but I'm moving on. So it's been a lovely time, but uh, no longer. Thank
3: you, Jamie. Windest. The eye
0: contact
1: really hurt. Thank you very much,
3: Jamie.
0: Thank you. Don't ever do
3: that to us in real life. <laughs> that was Jamie Windust, and another eye-opening talk that was. Yes, and while you were listening
0: to that, Mark and I have had a brief argument. Consulted Google, and it turns out that it's thesaurus, not thesaurus.
3: So he looks stupid now. I'm prepared to accept the pronunciation overall, but I will, I will say again, the first time I ever heard the word, my teacher said it thesaurus and so i'm sticking to it and i'm, I'm just gonna dig in so we have also found different ways of saying fascinating we have captivating beguiling
0: Bewitching, spellbinding. These are so great. So listen out for those in the future. We're going to use different versions
3: every single week. Next time we have a guest say something interesting, I'm going to say, wow, what a beguiling observation. And they'll look at me like a weirdo. <laughs> but we have had a truly bewitching message in from somebody called Richard,
0: who said that mankind was the first space that he has ever found in which he has heard masculinity discussed openly and frankly from people who want to contribute to understanding the concept rather than defining it. And he really appreciates our work. So thanks us both, but me in particular. And he thinks that you're all right, Mark, but he's thrilled that I'm,
3: I've added that. I for you, yeah, This is the danger of letting you read them out off your phone. But uh, thank you. Well, uh, thank you, Rich. I was absolutely bewitched by that.
0: <laughs> really lovely message from Richard. So please do keep
3: them coming in via our email, which is Mark. Uh, menkindpodcast at gmail.com. Although I wasn't expecting to do that, and that felt like a test, Michael. It was, but you got it right. But I have passed the test. <laughs> uh, and next we have Rick Samado.
0: And I had older parents as well, so I didn't mm. have that communicative relationship with them about this stuff.
3: A lot of people have older parents. LAUGHTER That is a
0: solid gag. I'm trying to introspect deeply here, give you some of the pearls of my soul. (laughs) If you had to rate it, Rick, out of 10, what would you give him? It was a bit of improvisation, my dear (laughs) Samada. And
3: that is why you sit in the big chair. This was a lively old talk, I think it's fair to say. The episode is misleadingly titled The Safari of Misery, but it's actually one of the more upbeat conversations of the series, I think.
0: Honestly, really brilliant. It's one to look forward to. See you next week. See you then.